Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant afternoon and good evening wherever you are, or maybe good morning if you're on the other part of the world. Welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are your hosts for the Water Zone Show. Thank you very much for joining us. And I just wanted to uh, make well, one quickie announcement that I know uh, Chris knows about and the other Miss Chris knows about it. But uh, we were just rated uh, by Feedspot as the number one water podcast, even though the show is live after uh, 24 hours after this broadcast, it goes to a podcast. We've been named number one globally in the world for our show. So we are very appreciative of all you listeners who help support the, the, uh, the show and tune in and listen. And that's what makes this a fun, fun kind of job to do. Right, Chris? Absolutely. I'm trying to find my little key that has the crown back, crowd background noise with a roar. Find oh. <laughs> well, we can just we can just applaud. Thank you, thank you, yep. everybody. We do appreciate Absolutely. that, and, and it's because of you, Chris Davies, and Ms. Chris Austin, uh, who helped make the show awesome. Plus, our engineer Eric, and uh, he's back at the uh, NBC studios, and we do appreciate everything that he does for us. And um, you know, we a year a year and a half ago we were at number fifteen, and then we came in number eleven for last year. And now we're number one. And, and I got to tell you, there's some really steep competition. Big guys, big boys in it. And uh, we edged them out, and we're very excited about it. And I hope all of us go celebrate tonight. And uh, and when I see all, both of you, Chris's, we'll celebrate together uh, at that time. So, again, thank you for making the show what it is. Without you two, it, uh, it wouldn't be as good as uh, it could be. So, and thank you for the listeners. We do appreciate that. So. That's all I got to say, Chris. Any words? Yeah, it's actually, I, I feel the same way as you do. Very blessed to to have that recognition. Of course, the you know the rankings are based on um, not just uh, traffic, right? I mean, which was the common the the uh, common uh, rank, but also you know how many social media followers we have, and you know the freshness of the pop. Yeah, the content and the content, content. they like. Right, yeah. all that stuff. So, so it's great, and and it's just wonderful to have you know over 165,000 uh, followers and literally millions and millions of downloads. So, um, it's uh, it's a good, it's a good feeling, bro. I thank know. Um, I'm, I'm I'm stoked, and uh, again, I thank both of you and the listeners for making this happen. So, let's bring Miss Chris Austin on. She is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, which is the best place to get water news. Uh, when you want to read it on your on your computer, laptop, or or whatever you want to see it on your phone. So, Chris Austin, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are y'all doing? We doing well, right, Chris. Thanks. We're so waiting you... up. We're waiting up here for a storm supposed to blow in tonight. I think it's uh, going to affect uh, Oregon more than California, but we're expecting some rain and maybe even a little bit of snow. So. We are off to the races in the new water year. Well, then, then last year, I think last week was in Tahoe and uh, Yosemite got snowed. They got yeah, snowed I think it was the first measurable snow 
snow uh, last week, and we'll see what what this brings uh, this week. It's not. Uh, I don't think it's expected to be a big storm, but it's interesting. It's always uh, uh, hopeful when you see the storms start coming in early rather than later. So. I, you know, I've been telling Chris Davey for many years that we, we want to go to measure the snow when, when the state goes and measure the snow and, and make a live show out of that with video and everything else. And that, that's something maybe we can push because we're number one now <laughs> for a while, <laughs> and hopefully for a long time. But but uh, I think that would be a cool show to do uh, to do and you know show people how it's done and what they do and the people who go out and do it and, and their their world. But uh, you know, just that that would be pretty nice to trek in the snow and do a measurement. Yeah, now you you know you know when they do that official measurement with the media and everything. That's like one place that they do this, but that's not the, the be-all and end-all of uh, snowpack measurement. Uh, they actually run a snow course. Uh, I mean, because the, the Sierras are like 500 miles long, and, you know, snow does not hit all those 500 miles, like, equally. Right. So you can't just point at one point in the Sierra and say that's, you know, that's what the snow is. You have to sample multiple points. So they have snow courses that they have been uh, doing for, you know, decades where they actually, DWR actually hires people who can, you know, do cross-country skiing to get out to these snow courses and to take these measurements. And they've been doing these measurements for many, many decades. What's kind of, you know, the, the, now, even if you have, you know, 50 different points along that 500 miles, you still can't really capture how much snow is in the snowpack. So uh, DWR now is using uh, some technology that came out of NASA called the airborne snow observatory where now they actually have a plane with specialized radars that flies over now the sierras and gives a much more accurate uh you know a uh, reading of how much snow is up there and and it's really important to know how much snow is up there because if you're trying to manage the reservoirs the snow is going to melt it's going to flow into the reservoirs you know, it's good to know how much is there because in California, our reservoirs serve dual purposes. They store water in the summertime, but in the wintertime, they have an important flood control function, which means that this is the time of the year now when um, our reservoirs are starting to dump some of this water to make room for the potential for flooding or a large storm to come in you know now the problem with this as you might imagine is sometimes those storms don't uh, always materialize and now you've dumped water that you you know that you could sure use and that and that is the part where groundwater recharge comes in so if you have to move the water out of the reservoir if you can move it into groundwater storage downstream that is the uh, that is the ideal but also what they're working with on the reservoirs is something that's called 
uh, forecast-informed reservoir operations. And this is where, I mean, our weather forecasting, especially the forecasting of atmospheric rivers and where they're going to make landfall, is getting much better and much more accurate that they're working now into the rules for operating these reservoirs, you know, um, a way to look and see what the forecast is. So if there's no storms coming in, then you don't have to dump any water. Um, and then if a storm is coming in and it's not a big storm, then maybe you don't have to dump as much water. Um, and they're really working to kind of, uh, I would say, finesse this technique of actually um, being able to see what's coming at you and to make decisions on how much water you leave in the reservoirs, uh, you know, this could be a real game changer because a lot of these reservoirs are operating on rules for flood control that were uh, set by the Army Corps of Engineers back in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, seriously. Um, And they have never been revised. So they're working with this on some of the reservoirs in our state to kind of um, see how they can more broadly apply this. But this is actually a way um, that gives hope that we can keep more water in storage when, uh, you know, when we can. Well, so when they th- you say they take people or the people who go out and do this have to be a cross-country skier. I was hoping that we could rent uh, snowmobiles. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't ski. <laughs> I don't know about Chris Davy. Chris Davy, do you ski? Cross country and downhill, buddy, and and I've been known to drag a knuckle on a on a snowboard once in a while as well. No, oh, I can roll down the hills, but uh, <laughs> I can <laughs> ski. <laughs> Any, yeah. Anyway, hey, Chris, I want to add to you know just to the just to the concept of you know water storage and and uh, you know the way they the new technology coming along to track <clears throat> winter snowpack. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's a really tight connection between being able to have that data real time and state the state water uh, board and other water agencies being able to use that data in real time as well. Because, you know, we get that data and it's great. We learn how to capture, uh, how to treat, uh, how to keep the water we've captured over the winter season uh, better. But there's all kinds of stuff down the pike that people are involved in that need that data for. I mean, there's, there's decades and age old water rights that need to be considered, right, for these folks. And that that have them, and uh, then there's the you know disparity between surface water and groundwater use, and of course groundwater is a big issue right now. We talk about it almost every week, right, Chris, with stigma. Oh um, yeah. yeah, and so you know how how do we use that water? How much is going to get put to uh, uh, to groundwater um, versus the declining availability of surface water in the state of California? So. So many, I just want to point out, Chris, that so many people rely on that, uh, you know, that annual snowfall um, data that's, uh, that's now becoming available with this updated, uh, if not new, technology. Yeah, and they're really trying to work in real-time operations um, uh, into our uh, management of our water systems. It's a little hard because we're a bit behind the, the eight ball in a sense. 
you know, the ability of us to monitor things has really increased amazingly. We can have monitors now out that can monitor water quality on a continuous 24-hour basis. So that's great. You got a lot of data, but now you need you need someone to go in and to look at that data and derive some insights out of it to take a look at what does this mean. And so there's also been a push now, you know, in the last, I say, five, ten years to do something with this data. We have big data, but, you know, a big old pile of water quality uh, measurements continuously in a river for a year um, doesn't do much if you don't have anyone that can come in and look at that data and interpret it for you. So, you know, we're still a little bit behind the eight ball in trying to figure out how to do that. And we don't really have um, the governance aspects in place. Uh, you know, everything is very tightly controlled in the Delta. So there are, there is times when they might be seeing something in a real-time monitoring situation, but the system is not set up to respond in real time. But there is a big push to work on this, you know, with the agencies. They have different teams and stuff to set up to monitor conditions and to try to feed them to the water people that are running the water project so uh they can do a better job of it but it's uh it's it's difficult we have a lot of data we're very good at collecting data uh, not so good at interpreting what all that new data means well, yeah i agree always... i mean you... sorry rob go ahead buddy no i say that's always the hard part <laughs> Well, there's a whole, like, uh, you can get a degree now in data science that is just about going into these different data sets and being able to glean insights. It's an emerging uh, field. So anyone young out there that wants to know what the, you know, big up-and-coming field is data science. And it's not just in, in water uh, data, but in data of all kind. We can now collect data very quickly and very efficiently. We just don't interpret what that means very well. Yeah, I think the term behind the uh, eight ball is probably a good one in that, especially in the state of California, right? I mean, it's good to have all that data, but who's it good for? Who is it good for, right? So we look at who the constituents are and, you know, what do they want? And I mentioned uh, water agencies and and the state water board and all that stuff, but it goes it you can dive deeper than that, Chris. Really, I mean, down to the farmer, right? He has to plan, he has to plan what his water needs are going going to be for the coming growing season or the crop that he's making or whatever, right? And they're looking at how much this water is going to cost, and they've got these water rights, and they're able to trade these water rights and and um, you know sign contracts for future cost of water rights to protect themselves, sort of insure themselves against higher costs. And, you know, it's a very, very complicated um, state to work in if you're a uh, if you're a commercial water user. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that may be even an understatement, Chris. Yeah, if you're a farmer, it's not an easy life, I have to say, especially nowadays. Um, 
And, you know, to have to depend on Mother Nature is just, um, that's a very precarious position. And all of us in other types of jobs would be glad that we don't have to. You know, I was reading, oh no, I was actually, I think I was watching 60 Minutes or something. And, you know, we had a lot of record heat this uh, this summer, especially out in the Midwest. And the stories mainly were like, you know, oh, big hot, you know, look at these people suffering in the city. Um, but those high temperatures, they had other impacts. And I saw some of them, you know, uh, on 60 Minutes. The farmer lost most of his soybean crop. Uh, just got dried out by the heat and the lack of rain when, you know. I mean, up, up here in California, we're used to it not raining in the summertime. That's really rare. But, uh, you know, that's not the norm. There's a lot of places in the east and in Canada where, you know, rain at, at midday is, you know, is the norm. Um, and rain during the summer is, you know, it, it usually comes. So when these things don't come, um, it's really devastating to some people. And, you know, so we're going to still be hearing about the impact of that record heat that we had this summer. There's more to come, I'm sure. <laughs> you're not, you're not kidding. So what, what else is the big news? I heard, uh, uh, didn't Newsom sign some big deal um, or some uh, legislation this week? No, I think he's all done with that. Oh. Well, I yeah, think he had to sign everything by the 14th of October. Huh. What's yeah, 1572? Yeah, 1572 was it. So, Chris, I'm going to tell you because I got, you know, looking at the looking at the chat board for, for the shows last week particularly, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but several people wrote us during the week and asking, what's the difference between AB 1572 and 1573? And, of course, you know, 1573 just got what we call it mothballed or whatever they call it. You know, when it gets, I think they got another term oh. for it. I can't, I can't, suspense I can't remember. Suspense file. Go to the yes, suspense right. file, yeah. Yeah, right. It was ordered as, as an inactive uh, file. Uh, 1573 was, but you know that was that was kind of crazy anyway. That was you know part of the uh, part of the process to outlaw uh, any sort of overhead irrigation that had precip rates of one inch per hour or more, and you know kind of nuts, right? I mean, why would you? That it, it's penalizing people who are you know involved in water conservation or water efficiency at at uh, at the homeowner level and commercial level, farming level. Um, for things that they have no no control of. So, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should have a show on uh, on teaching our listeners the difference between the old mothballed AB fifteen seventy three and the new AB fifteen seventy two, which did get signed by Governor Newsom. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm not up to I'm not up to speed on on those. Um, yeah, probably not today, but I mean, you have something we can work on. I think it'd be a, I think it'd be an interesting topic. So. Yeah, you know, and I guess the one thing that I would respond is, you know, well, two things I would say. First thing is that farmers are business people too, and water is their most expensive input, 
uh, most precious input, I would think, for the vast majority, if not all farmers. So they take care to use it efficiently, I think. And I and they have spent, uh, you know, billion dollars or more uh, adding in more efficient irrigation systems. I mean, they're businessmen. They're not stupid. And the second thing I would say is that, you know, sometimes some crops, you know, need to be watered in different ways. Drip irrigation doesn't work for everything. Um, and sometimes, you know, field irrigation is the, is the most efficient way to water a crop. Or, you know, overhead irrigation, it, it really depends on the crop. Uh, you know, you wouldn't use overhead irrigation in an orchard, but for an alfalfa field, it, it could make perfect sense depending on where you are, your climate, and your water availability. So, you know, we can't, and, and sometimes sprinklers are being used just to establish the crop and not, they're not going to stay there. So, you know, it's, I, I think it's hard to second guess when you just look at a field being irrigated, whether that's efficient or not. And, you know, I mean, again, I'll go back to the first point. You know, farmers are business people too. And water is their most expensive input. I don't think they're going to waste it. What's what's happening? Have you heard anything about all, you know, we talked a couple shows back and even even for the last year about these illegal marijuana uh, establishments? That they're doing and, the, and those people stealing water uh, have we heard any more i know they said they were going to go after them but i haven't heard anything since that about it no I, I i can't say that i have heard that anything is happening on that front i am huh. i would be sad to report that um but no. no but that doesn't mean anything i mean they're still they still bust illegal grows from time to time so but yeah, you know the, yeah from time to time is the one that bothers me. It should be all the time, you know. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you always hear the big idea, we're going to go do this and, and that's it, and then then you never hear anything about it anymore. So you, so no one ever <laughs> knows that, that it's really happening or it was just used as a PR, you know. Event yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't so, get me started. No, I have no, a I very non-water related <laughs> story. <laughs> I could give you, but it's not related to water, so we'll just skip it. But okay. hey, uh, I will say this: today, the Bureau of Reclamation um, and the Sites Reservoir Authority released their final documents. It's their final environmental documents now uh, to build uh, the Sites Reservoir, which is uh, um, a proposed 1.5 million acre feet. Uh, reservoir in northern california and this this reservoir is uh interesting because it's not you know it's not what we call a rim dam it's not trapping water in the mountains from snow melt it's designed to pick up water that falls on the valley floor uh that doesn't have any dam to catch it and that's you know one of the uh, impacts that california is getting when our snowpack is not there anymore, then more water is falling on the valley floor. So uh, it, this reservoir does have some opposition, and I'm sure we will be hearing about them in the weeks to come. But uh, but this reservoir is an off-stream reservoir. 
that has plenty of support. It has people willing to pay for the water that it would generate or take the risk if it doesn't. It's proposed for a very remote valley in Northern California with really nobody living there. And the one ranch that is there is supportive of the idea. So uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll so see not, where it not goes. It's not officially green-lighted. It's just they released the report that they say it's okay. Well, right. it, I think, it, you know, they still have some more permits to get. Um, uh-huh. As long as they collect their permits, then they can start building that dam. Uh, they, will, they will face a, uh, a hearing at the state water board for the water rights to do this, and I believe we'll certainly hear from the opposition at this point. But I think that uh, that is the last major hurdle, major permit that they need to secure. And they're moving towards that now pretty fast. So we'll see what happens. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, they will certainly tell you that. This reservoir has been talked about for decades. So, Uh, Anything else of noteworthy for the week? Oh, well, the Department of Water Resources approved a bunch more uh, uh, groundwater plans and and sent six more back as incomplete. And uh, so we'll see. Groundwater management is starting to, you know, hit the fan, as they say. So we'll see. Here come the impact. But, uh, you know, they... Uh, the state water board has announced that in April 2024, they're going to hold the first probationary hearing for the first of uh, what has been determined to be, I think, six deficient groundwater plans. So, uh, so we'll see. Here we go. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to absorb this week. So anyway, we, we do appreciate you coming on every single week and, uh, Again, we thank you personally for helping the show become what it is. And uh, just for our listeners, please go to mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, get the most up-to-date water news that you can every single morning on your PC and or laptop or whatever you use. Uh, it's a great way to get Chris, both Chris Davey and I use it. every. I mean, it's the first thing we see when we turn on our computers because that's the first thing that comes up and that's the way we set it up. And, and you can also become a sponsor of the show if you'd like. Uh, of, of the of the uh, Maven's Notebook, and it's a, it's a good thing to do. And uh, you'll see Chris's picture over there, and all the new things that she's got on on the uh, internet. So take a look, and it's pretty pretty believable, unbelievable how one person can make sure that's all prepared and put up every single day. So we we do appreciate it. Chris. Thank you very much. We we hope you're you're doing great, and we will talk to you next week after the rain at your end. All right. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back after our commercials, and we have a special featured guest, so stick around. It's going to be an interesting conversation and pretty technical, and uh, we'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team, 
Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone with uh, myself, Rob Starr, and Chris Davy, and uh, we're going to bring on our featured guest. And her name is Jasmine Malloy. And she's with a company called Eagle Aerial Solutions, and she is the director of product development. And she is what we call a solutions architect, bringing the challenges of urban water suppliers uh, that are facing an ongoing climate change. And talking about supply shortages, state regional mandates, and limited resources to design the table. And uh, we're going to find out more about this interesting job and, and, and what uh, her company does. So we'd like to bring her on. So Jasmine, welcome to the Water Zone. So much. Appreciate the invitation and excited to be here. We're happy to hear you. So one of one of the first questions we, we we always like to ask to get started, make everybody feel comfortable, is how what drew you to the water industry to where you are today? What what made you know was there something you were born with or got when you were early in life or later you know you were going to be a, a rock star musician and then you decided you're going to go into water or <laughs> something like that? Well, you never know. I know yeah. I know I personally know people. You know. Like that. But <laughs> yeah, straight from uh, the guitar to the to water. Yeah. yeah. So what what brought you to that? You know, um, it's 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 kind of an interesting story in um and and what got me here. And um, I think there's a lifelong uh, interest in um, the environment, environmental, um, and um, I started. W- at Eagle Aerial. This is a true story, actually, as a part-time bookkeeper um, eight years ago. And uh, 
um, I really got interested in the direction that Eagle was going into and really kind of rekindled an old passion, I think, that I had from younger years um, for the environment, um, concern around um, climate change and what we are going, um, you know, what everyone's doing about it. And so um, moved uh, quickly through the company and was able to jump in at a time where we were um, diving into the water industry um, and bringing solutions um, that were really needed, kind of talking about um, different things that uh, could really make an impact, um, you know, starting specifically in California and then moving outwards. And so I got the opportunity to really grow in this field together with, with Eagle Aerial and, um, you know, take some ideas and run with it. So it's been great. It's been uh, an incredible journey. So if I, if I take a, a look at the name Eagle Solutions, does that mean that you fly something over the ground? Um, well, actually, the, uh, the company started over 35 years ago, and um, the focus was on aerial imagery acquisition and um, just working within, you know, the, specifically with uh, aerial imagery. And, um, you know, even on our website, we've got a great picture, one, you know, some of the first times of, of truly um, one of the owners of the company hanging out of a helicopter with harness and a camera. And you know, moving along with the with the ages, and as you know, um, the digital era really came in, um, and then uh, moving into more in depth studies, utilizing not just vertical RGB, red, green, blue um, imagery, but getting into um, uh, using the fourth band near infrared so that can be added to the you know the camera equipment at acquisition which allows us to read um, understand moisture indexes and, and really um, start looking at reflectance um, in the vegetation below and that led us into remote sensing and partnering with companies that really um, works the science side of it to open up a whole nother area within our within our industry so Eagle Aerial uh, Solutions, that, that really um, it does come from uh, uh, a birth in aerial imagery and has is, and is gone, um, taken that and, and really moved with it into different into different industries, including water. So let me see if I can break it down, make sure I understand it. So they, they fly something and, and they, they look at the landscape. They can tell what the vegetation is. They Can, can they tell then what the... The water is. Can they read soil moisture sensors that transmit something to to this helicopter, and and, and then uh, it, it, it gives a, uh, a scan of every resident, every property, whether commercial or residential, so they can say uh, this is this is what you have in vegetation. This is what water you use. And things. is that is, am I on the right track for that? You're on, you're on the right track, definitely fast forwarding, you know, multiple years and, you know, no longer hanging out of helicopters anymore, things like that. Oh. Um, but when, when imagery is acquired, um, you know, the, the data that comes, the, the, that is acquired during the capture, that near infrared um, data is key to what we then do with the imagery afterwards. Um, using the imagery, for example, something that we're doing heavily within the water industry is actually leveraging that imagery and the near-infrared um, moisture indexes and reflectance data 
that comes up, that actually begins to um, inform some uh, custom-created models. So this is where we start bringing machine learning and a little bit of AI into this into this process where we can actually start to teach a pixel within the digital imagery, teach a pixel what the values, um, what it really is capturing within that pixel as far as vegetation goes. And it starts to, for lack of a more technical term, kind of take its first run at what is um, what we're looking at, what the vegetation is on the ground, what type of healthy vegetation can we start to identify. It's that's a bit of the automated process as we've been, you know, teaching these mo- um, these machines and, and and running these models. We basically teach the pixel, hey, this is this is your value, this is what it is. We put it back into the system. We call it a super pixel. We say, hey, go find a buddy, and so it goes and finds a pixel with the same with the same values in there, and that gives us an output. And we start saying, okay, this is this is where we're seeing healthier vegetation. Um, let's take a look at it. Or what what kind of um, different vegetation are we looking at? Is it tree canopy? Is it turf grass? Are we looking at open water sources? Things like that. And that's the human team coming in there and breaking down the imagery that allows us to start, you know, seeing, okay, this is um, an, a, a healthy irrigated um, area. We have irrigable lands over here. There's evidence that, you know, there's um, land over on this other, you know, side that has been irrigated before, is not currently being irrigated and that data is really what has been so powerful and valuable um, within the water industry. It's, it's really starting to understand what vegetation is thriving in what areas, how much water is truly needed um, to keep that vegetation healthy, and where we can actually kind of pull that back a little bit. When, you know, so that we're not over irrigating, but just that. So it really starts to move towards um, that idea of efficiency. And I think that that is um, a word I probably say every day, you know, at least 20 to 50 times a day, you know, really getting down to efficient irrigation. So, so with this information then can be used by water agencies to help, or I'm asking, do they use that then to decide or determine each, each property's water budget? Absolutely. Some, some absolutely do. Those that have gone to water budget rates, you know, really use this, the, this data that is created because we can get it down all the way to a parcel level mapped product where um, this data can, you know, we'll have this uh, parcel has X amount of square feet of um, irrigated turf. This is the tree canopy. This is the impervious surface, you know, the um, driveways and rooftops, things like that. This is, you know, the open water that might be um, a pool, that might be, um, you know, a larger uh, fountain, things like that. And that's where they can start creating that um, kind of more individualized um, water budgets for their customers. And then on a larger scale, a lot of work we do currently, you know, can be at a state or, or you know, regional or, or, or state level. Um, back in 2018, um, when SB 606 and AB 1668 um, were both passed, um, and, and for any listener that's not really familiar, that's really you know California's um, new water conservation, water efficiency uh, legislation, and um, it's a brand new framework that's being implemented in the state that's really pushing towards an efficient 
water management system and, you know, looking at different, you know, residential, different components within that legislation, residential, indoor, residential, outdoor, there's commercial, industrial, institutional, there's a water loss component. component. Um, there's, you know, a look at uh, where recycled water is being used. Um, but this type of data and um, analysis is, you know, what's really helped inform um you know, how the, not how the legislation was created, but how uh, how these markers or these um, standards can be reached um, by the water agencies themselves. Oh, I, I got a bunch more questions, but I want to let Chris Davey jump in yeah. and uh, get a few. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, thanks, Rob. Yeah, I do have a couple of questions for sure. But first of all, Jasmine, yeah. welcome to the Water Zone. Great to have you on. Thank you so much. I am happy to be here. Good. So I guess so. I'm going to draw a parallel if I if I can real quick, Jasmine, to your story about how you got started into in the industry. Rob knows this, but you know when I was in high school and, and college, I was looking for a you know state job. I was uh, um, you know a science major, and I was looking to work for you know mm -hmm. Cal Fish and Game or the Bureau of Land Management or Department of Natural Resources or somebody on the state. You know the sugar plums dancing in my head was I'd be walking up and down the <laughs> trout streams in Northern California checking on brew trout, right? But, yeah. but I got into mm -hmm. the irrigation industry 40-something years ago, and, uh, and, and, and I'm still here. So something happened on purpose. Something happened um, strictly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so my question is Absolutely. this. So, you know, yeah. I'd really like – so, um, so, Jasmine, I monitor the message boards, right, as we as we go through the show here. And so we got some listeners mm -hmm. um, asking, and obviously these guys have done a bit, these guys and gals have done a little bit of, of research on, on um, Eagle Aerial Solutions. So they're saying, hey, can mm -hmm. you get Jasmine to kind of tell us, you know, what the difference is between water conservation and water efficiency and how those two things, you know, how they work together and how they work opposing each other and by the way just before you answer this is a conversation mm -hmm. that we've had on the show dozens and dozens of times so uh and it's a favorite okay. of rob and mine but you know kind of give us the, yeah. the the view if you will sure you know i think that um it's funny it's, you know it can be almost a, i'm sure as you've, you've experienced it can be a bit of a controversial topic um it's something yeah. that that i do talk about you know a lot in that um there is the word water conservation, um, you know, is has been the buzzword for so long. Even the new slogan that California is adopting, you know, making uh, conservation California's way of life. Um, you know, it's it's the idea of using less, cutting back, changing habits, um, and uh, because there's less, we have to use less. Um, we have to be really careful with, with what we have. Um, and where I continue to go is there is continual change in our climate. There is a necessity um, and a call to action to be even more mindful of the resource that we have, yet just going into less and less and less and use less is not necessarily a sustainable long-term plan, but learning efficiency where from, you know, here, you know, at, at Eagle, it's looking at what, um, 
What do we have on the ground? What type of vegetation do we have? What it what does it take to uh, irrigate what we have? What plants thrive better, native plants compared to other um, species that have been you know brought in? Things like that. Um, efficient irrigation practices and efficient water use behaviors. There is a resource that we can all use as long as we learn how to use it efficiently. It's not necessarily always cut it back, cut it back, cut it back, cut it back. It's let's use this in a really efficient way. And to get there, it's understanding again, not not even just the the, the vegetation and the ear and and the irrigation needs but also the human component in there where it's, um, you know, water use behaviors. Um, and, and so that's where, I don't know if I'm exactly answering their, their question at the difference between it, but it's definitely, I mean, there's even been some things that we've written that talks about how, you know, conservation doesn't, just conservation doesn't necessarily work. It's long, it's, you know, water use efficiency is the answer to, uh, long-term sustainability um, yeah, on I every level, pretty close. I think. I think you're pretty mm-hmm. close to it, uh, Jasmine. I mean, ab- you know, absolutely, right? From from our standpoint, and by the way, you know, we could, we've had shows where this is the sole topic, <laughs> right? So, I mean, <laughs> sure, we look at, sure. we've looked at um, water conservation as being sort of like the regulatory side of it, right? And then, you know, you get mm-hmm. the regulations that come through and this, you know, mandatory 25 percent cutbacks which we're all familiar with from uh you know from back in the mid 2000 teens um Mm -hmm. when we had the drought when we had that bad drought and everybody started switching out lawns for natives and all that stuff and then on the water efficiency side kind of goes with rob and i's day job right we have we work for the toro Mm -hmm. company and we're interested in in water efficiency and doing that through through great products, water-efficient products. So, uh, you know, that's sort of our view of the dichotomy here. Yeah, Yeah. and, you know, and that's really where where Eagles really jumped in. So, you know, with working in the industry and, um, you know, being a part of, you know, a partnership with with other companies as well that are creating really um, accurate um, granular data Right. As I've talked about, you know, working with even the training, these models, bringing in AI, understanding the vegetation, the big part too, moving towards efficiency, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it requires, um, it requires data for us to understand how water is being used on the ground. And that's really where Eagle steps in is understanding that data. Right now, there's lots of data creation, but it's also, okay, now what do we do with this? How do we take these data? And then we say, this is what it means to be efficient. And so Eagle has designed, you know, a, uh, their own software. So we have WaterView, which is our software as a service that actually interprets all the data that's, that's, um, that's been created. And specifically for California, it's a platform that can be extended across to other, you know, to any state, but specifically for California, it's one that takes the needed data and actually um, creates a crosswalk or, or, or a bridge with the legislative um, requirements and says, this is what you're going to be required um, to be. This is, you, you know, your allocation this is what you'll be held to. Let's understand what, um, how water is being used on the ground. What is water use? 
really focused in the efforts of the water supplier, the water agency, so they can address um, customers in, you know, in a way and, and promote efficiency. Um, and that's really where we're... You're breaking. You're breaking up. You're breaking up a little bit. Can you oh, hear us? Oh, no, no, no problem. One, one of the things. If I jump in, just go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. No, Rob. I Chris, didn't say anything. I think. I think it was Jasmine. Oh. What, I apologize. Like, are you? All of a sudden, I didn't hear you. Yeah, we have you now, Jasmine. Go ahead. You can want to complete your thought. Yeah, um, not, not sure where I kind of left off there, um, but go ahead and jump back in. We'll uh, we'll figure out where what you heard and what you did it there towards the end. Okay. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Rob. No, I was going to say, you know, a lot of times when people go out and they buy because they want to be, they want to conserve and they want to use water more efficiently, they go out and buy what's called a smart controller, irrigation controller. And a lot mm -hmm. of times when people put those on, they find out just. A lot of those, most of them are based on, on crop coefficients and all this other, other technical information you can feed into the, the device and then it, it waters properly. But we've seen on some occasions that by putting smart controllers in, unfortunately, the people who were watering normally were underwatering. And now, now the water usage becomes more because now they're going to water it properly. So that, that's, that's one thing. And then when people see that, and were experienced that, then they say, "Oh, well, smart controllers aren't any good." But they they got to understand there's more to, there's more to just putting water on a plant. It's there's a science behind all of that, and, you know, and and, and, that, and that's an, that's an important factor people don't really realize. And then when they see it isn't doing what it's supposed to do, and they're using more water, they turn the system off, which defeats the whole purpose. It's, so, it's sure. incredible, and we've experience that with the water suppliers that we work with part of our software is actually you know help support the water suppliers in their outreach efforts and then going back and looking at the data and saying what worked what didn't and really similar results that you're that you're talking about is saying hey this is how we um, approached our community and you know we supported doing doing very similar things like the smart um, water controllers, things like that, and this was the output. So then, part of what we've been doing is working with them to say, if we have, if we did this differently, how can we dive into the data so this can be done differently? Um, and you know, it goes all the way out to the education to the community, and also understanding. Um, it, it goes back into the understanding the water use behaviors. Where are they before we start? Where are they at during the program? Where are they at afterwards? You know, and really becoming more efficient, even in in that exercise within the, the with the water agency themselves. Yeah, it's true. Chris, go ahead. You, I know I cut you off by mistake, but uh, you probably have some follow up questions. Yeah, no problem, Rob. I was just going to ask. I was I was going to make a comment first about uh, you know what we've seen on the show from listening to various people is is the state of California and other western states too that suffer from uh, drought mm -hmm. conditions or um, you know, flexible uh, reliance uh, on water sources is, um, you know, the state has gone from sort of, uh, you know, responding to drought to preparing for drought, right? Um, right. Do, you, do you see yeah. that happening too? I mean, it, it's got to be part of, uh, of uh, your viewpoint as well. 
Absolutely. You know, and I think the SB606 and AB 1668 really was designed, you know, from lessons learned from the previous, you know, from back in the drought, you know, 2012, 2016, that time, um, once, once we kind of made our way out of that drought, it was, all right, we know it's going to come again. Drought will come again. Let's prepare. And that's really the focus um, in moving the entire state towards a more efficient uh, future in general. This is what's coming. Let's get let's get ready. Um, not kind of a, you know, doomsday, here comes, it's going to get really bad again. It's not. It's just California is going to, you know, have these fluxes and let's just become even more educated on how to efficiently sustain our landscape, the best landscape for the area, so there is enough water for everyone. That's a good idea. Well, we're coming up, we're uh, coming up to our commercial, not commercial break, our, our news break that we can use. Uh, how can people get a hold of your company? Get some more information and websites and so forth. Absolutely, you can find us at eagleaerial.com. Um, Ron, you can um, send us a uh, send us a um, an outreach via that way. Uh, that comes with some straight into our info desk at info at eagleaerial.com. And always get a hold of me directly to jmalloy at eagleaerial.com. Excellent. Jasmine, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. We'd like to call you back in a couple weeks and, uh, and follow up on some things and maybe talk about some projects and things that uh, you've been involved with and get a little bit more detail. Very interesting uh, uh, business that you do, and we, we very much appreciate you coming on. So thank you very much. Wow. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jasmine. All right. Okay. Uh, you too. Uh, I, Irrigation Association is coming up, and that's going to start on the uh, 29th, or actually the 28th of November, so stick around for that, and uh, we'll look up, them up on the internet, it's going to be a fantastic show. And the one thing that Chris and I always want to tell you before we leave is please help keep our planet blue, and if you like green, you got to have blue. Yep, yep, good evening. CAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. The House is passing a bill to give over $14 billion in aid to Israel in the